0: Six, seven, eight. Hello and welcome to a new episode of 5678, a podcast about dance training. My name is Rebecca Berstold, and today's guest is Stina Nyberg. Welcome.
1: Thank you very much.
0: <laughs> we are in Hannesand at Nordans in the middle of the process of the piece, the Dawn Chorus, that you're choreographing. Should we say a sentence about the piece?
1: Um, Yeah, it's a piece that's at some point departed from birds, but has been using birds as a node to talk about a lot of other things, such as senses and death and uh, the mass extinction uh, caused by humans. And uh, it's somehow I feel like we're in the intersection of dystopia and utopia or something like that. (laughs) Maybe you know better, though, how to describe where (laughs) we're at in the middle of the process. Oh, sounds good. Could you uh, introduce yourself? Yeah, um, I work with dance and choreography. Um, I make a lot of works that I perform in myself. So a lot of them are, like, organized by myself and I often also dance or perform in them. But I also do uh, commissions when I can. Like, I like working with groups that I don't already know, like here in Nord-Dance. Um So there's, like, a few different worlds of dance which I work within. Um, I also work with some groups. I have several, like, long-term collaborators that are crucial to me and that I keep returning to working with somehow. Um, besides that, I'm... 40 years old. I come from Anschuldsvik, uh, but I live in Stockholm since many years. And um, I use choreography, I think, as a way to like spend time learning about things that I want to learn more about. I think that's like a good thing about this job. You can like take on a theme that I want to spend time with and then use a project or a situation or collaborators to. Dig into that somehow.
0: Cool. So we're going to talk about dance training. And to get into your dance training background, I will ask you, how did you start to dance?
1: I started dancing at Kommunala Musikskolan in Övik. Um But I think I started training gymnastics is probably how I got into the world of like physical movements to music. So I did rhythmical gymnastics my whole childhood. And I did some dancing in parallel to that. Um, but I spent most of my time training gymnastics. And then when I quit that when I was 15, uh, I started dancing instead, I would say. But still like, you know, hobby classes for a teacher. Um, We did mostly jazz dance then. But I had also done some ballet and some tap before that.
0: Do you remember what it was about dance and maybe gymnastics as well that got you excited?
1: No, I think it was just because all of my three older sisters had done gymnastics and it was probably practical for my parents to like drive us to the same space at the same time and also it was a world that was somehow like I knew about it I guess when I started Um, but then it was a lot of like friends you made through that like sports situation which I think maybe it's not particular to gymnastics but I think a lot of people have that but that's kind of what keeps you doing that thing. It was just like fun to be on camps with your friends Um, and I think dancing as well I think besides the friends part it is also like a fun mix of training like you get to be sweaty and you learn new things that you didn't know before but at the same time you actually get to like create things and you know somehow look like something or perform and like it has a it has a world of being on stage, which is also somehow when you're, like, younger. And I would, I guess, admit also now, is kind of fun. Mm-hmm. You're, like, in front of people, and there's a certain, like, star quality to it, which is fun to be in. Mm. <laughs> yeah.
0: So you did hobby classes, and then, like, how how did it become something that you followed for longer?
1: I did, after, like graduating gymnasium. I did apply to Ballet Academy in Stockholm, but I didn't get in and I wasn't at all sure what I wanted to do. And I didn't know much about dance um, internationally. So I have an older sister who's also a dancer. So I did definitely know that you could work as a contemporary dancer. That was like in my world, but I didn't know other dance schools. So I applied to the dance school. And when I didn't get in, I was like, well, and I'm not doing that. So I studied a bunch of other things and worked with other stuff and kept dancing as a hobby on the side for a few years until I think I had another go of like, okay, I've studied a few different things. I'm starting to feel like, so what am I going to work with? Or should I like start studying something that has more of a direction? And so I started started studying uh, law for a year because I was like, I'm gonna go into a profession now. And I did it for a year and then I felt that it was like, well actually if I do wanna dance, it's like now or never feeling. I felt like this is a bit of a breaking point of like which direction to like spend most of your time and where to go with it. Um So then I applied again to Ballet Academy because I still didn't know about a world of dance. I just knew about Ballet Academy in Stockholm for some reason. Uh, And this time I got in. So I started there, uh, actually still not being sure if that's what I wanted to do. Um, But I got hooked, perhaps for similar reasons as when I was a kid. Mm. There was like people there that I wanted to be with. There was somehow a creative world which I didn't feel like I had the same access to when it was done on like a hobby Mm. situation.
0: And how was Ballet Academy once you got in? How did you experience it?
1: I experienced it as quite hostile. I remember feeling like I was quite old and perhaps because I had studied other things before, I had very strong reactions to be treated like a you know like sheep or like you were pretty young and you just had to follow orders or something so i remember having like a lot of issues with how the school was organized and that i didn't feel like we were respected or trusted to wanting to be there but we were a little bit policed as mm. if we would drop out if someone didn't tell us to be in time mm. But everyone paid a lot of money to be there and everyone was adults. And I was just like, of course, we want to be here. And if you are not, you have a reasonable reason, probably. So it was a bit tricky, um, but I also really enjoyed it. We had a lot of good teachers, I think, especially that like direct relation with certain teachers that just gives joy to the group And I met some of the people that I keep working with now and there are close friends there. And I think that meant a lot as well to feel that you could have allies or friends or colleagues that were on the same track as you. Mm. And then you can keep a certain distance to the techniques or styles or behaviors that you don't appreciate at the school because there are other things and you can imagine that you will do something else too.
0: So if you would uh, look at your whole dance training history, also after this moment, like maybe dance training has continued in your life, could you mention some things that you are thankful that your dance training has been training?
1: Yes, I'm very grateful for all the music that my dance training has brought. Like you listen to a lot of music and you get to like really embody music and dance to music. And that's just super joyful, I think, for a lot of people to spend a lot of time doing that is great. I'm also grateful for all the practice in in attention. I think we practice a lot of paying attention to touch, to sound, to relations, to a lot of things. Like you become very attentive to your surrounding practicing a lot how to relate to objects, how to be close or far from other things, how to improvise using a light or a spatial pattern or an architecture or all of these kinds of tasks. So I think you get pretty well rehearsed in relating to the world, using more senses than, than a lot of people maybe do. Also, I think you practice being in groups with others without bumping into them, like very literally. But I think that's also translates somehow to like entering a room and reading how people seem to be just like, yeah, what's the atmosphere? How do I fit in? How do I place myself in this room? What needs to happen in order what to happen? Or like you do practice entering spaces like that. I think that also comes a lot though with working as a dancer and choreographer that you enter different situations because the projects are like pretty short and you go into something very specific and sometimes very intense and sometimes you really get close to the people you work with and then it ends and then you move into another group. So it's kind of crucial for your time that you spend those first times like making friends or at least liking someone or at least making a good situations for everyone so often i find dancers can be quite good in thinking about a social situation somehow mm. Mm. yeah that's the things i think about now yeah great do
0: you teach dance or have you been teaching dance
1: not much mm. I not really actually no I'm I'm interested in like teaching and I'm interested in pedagogy and like how to how to organize and I think that's a part of how I think choreography is how to think about how we spend the days together or what kind of capacities you use, what kind of, like, activities you spend time doing, trying to, like, organize days in a way would I would want to spend my days. Mm. Um, I, I did, during one process, I decided that I wanted to really, like, uh, have a class, that I would be able to say, yes, I, I can teach a class because I have a class. Mm. So I really tried for a period to, like, come up with a dance class. And I prepared it for a very long time. And then I started the process with a few other dancers. And I did teach class in the morning. But it, at least from the beginning, it didn't really feel like a real class. Like the things I wanted to put in that I tried to work on before was like, really, I just made a collection of all my favorite things. Because I guess that's what most teachers do you like steal things you've done which you think is good and then you make a version of it so I was like in theory I could do this so I made a collection of things but I never felt entitled enough to like teach it or didn't feel like I had the right wordings and I think it's very hard to to speak about dance in a physiological way I often think that everything just looks great and everyone's just dancing great the way they are. And I have a kind of like, I think it's hard to be like knowing how to speak about those parts. But it's, but it still ended up a kind of class where there's like an order of things that we do. And actually after that process, I've been like teaching that class for several times or versions of that warm up. But that's kind of how close I got. Mm.
0: But also saying like how, like putting attention to how you want to spend your day and how you organize a space. Like there is so much overlapping with choreographing.
1: Definitely. I think it's like choreographing is a lot of like, I don't know, meeting a group and figuring out. So what do we do today? What do we start with? What do we end with? How do we get to this point or that point? If we want to practice this, what kind of things should we do or... So it's already close, I think, in that sense, for sure. As well as performing.
0: Mm.
1: As a teacher, you do also perform a lot of yourself and you perform a lot in front of people. You perform in language. Which kind of words do you use to describe what you do? What kind of discourse do you end up in, depending Mm. on how you describe the things you do? Or, you know, all of those the words we use for movement become super important. Mm.
0: So, you did a project a while ago that was called Make Hay While the Sun Shines. Yes. And you made a publication. And I would like to use some quotes from this publication to ask you questions. Great. Um, Would you like to say anything else about this before I read?
1: Um, the publication is made as one part of the project, which consists of a, a lot of dances, a series of dances with a lot of different performers. I think the idea of this was to to have kind of a side project with the choreographic work. Also because I met a lot of people where I felt like the conversations we had when practicing or rehearsing super important to me and I felt like they probably are to others too so there was just a way of trying to like gather some of those people that I got to work with their thoughts on dance and, and training somehow
0: nice so this is a quote from the introduction that is written by you I think yeah yeah one way to make a living as a dancer is to teach And many of the dancers in this project do. For some, it is an economic necessity. But at the same time, it is part of one's art and definitely a performance in itself. In teaching, several important choreographic questions arise. How do I use my position of power as a teacher? What legacy do I want to leave behind? Which legacy do I follow? How do I organize time and attention? All of the dancers in this project have been taught. And for most of us, it has been a history of oppression, punishment, abuse and bullying. Which female dancer has never been told that they are too fat, too manly, too tall, too plain, too loud, too sweet, too this or that? As Katie Pyle describes it, One has this experience of feeling euphoria and expansive joy, and at the same time being told that something about what you are doing is wrong. There's so much in this quote, but I would like to start with this, uh, a history of oppression, punishment, abuse, and bullying. How has that been a part of your dance training?
1: I think, I think something, you do meet a lot of like eccentric people as teachers. And being like young, you're pretty like impressionable and you just go with it somehow. I think for myself, of course, there's like stories of people who've been teaching that does involve does involve which bodies you do what, how much you weigh. It does involve certain kinds of like how much energy you have or how much you put into it, how much of heart is put into it. I also recognize certain kinds of looking for the X factor, for the it thing or for the personality that stands out. And that's also like a very hard thing to be told that you are not having because it's hard to learn Mm -hmm. somehow. And I feel, I think this also came up in working in a group with only female dancers throughout this project. I think it's also so everyone just kind of knows. And a lot of people that I worked with had been working with dance for a long time. Like they were 60 plus. So they were friends with the teachers that I had. Mm. And it's just like a history that keeps going in relation to having been told things about how you are. And then people dealing with that for such a long time. Mm. A teacher told me that my calves were too thin at some point. I mean, it wasn't even like, so what did that, what difference did that, or too thin to, because I was, you know, would hurt myself, or, you know, there's just like these kind of things where, and they stick, I think they stick to a lot of people. And it makes you doubt what you are, or what works, or what doesn't, or how you are as a person. Mm. So those details, those comments for people who like listened, too much, perhaps to their teachers, they matter a lot.
0: Yeah, and I really recognize this quote from Katie Pyle, that like this combination of feeling such a joy in what you do, but this presence of judgment constantly and often someone else's judgment. And how that like Dealing with those two all the time. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's definitely like a a thing where we also like support and help and encourage a kind of like feeling of something that's great. Um, But then are also like trained in in being judged, I guess, as you say in always being able to be a better self than you are right now Mm. either in technical performance or in character or in something something something
0: yeah what could be different or how could it be different what could what could we do
1: what can we do i (laughs) guess just like don't put people down. Don't comment on people's looks. Don't, you know, encourage each other and help each other out. Mm. I think most people, though, I mean, I would still say, like, most of the dance situations I've been in has been very, very good in encouraging people. I think we as dancers often were pretty good to say, like, thanks for today, and yep. you did a very good job today, and wow, that thing we did was good. Like, we do give a lot of, like, good stuff to each other, too, which I think is not as common in other professions or in other people's lives, necessarily. So, so that's a good thing about it. Mm. But then I think, yeah, it's... it's uh, we just have to, like, keep talking the way we want to hear things, keep working for including other people and bodies and knowledges into our worlds. So they don't narrow up too much. And it's too easy to enter a room and be off just because like your little hairdo is wrong or something.
0: Mm.
1: So less streamlined situations. And then I guess I mean, To borrow the words of Sarah Ahmed, to just dare to be the killjoy, to dare to like object if someone says something or dare to be the one who like kills the funny joke of the teacher when it's on someone else's expense or just support the person who is the one who says something. And just double that thing, mm. help each other out. I mean, just guess it's just I mean that's not particular for dance, but it's a practice we could practice in class, I guess.
0: Mm.
1: And you are dependent on your like teachers often. You're mm. also dependent on those people because they are the ones who might be able to offer you a job later or if you know the person who knows the person, it's a freelance scene for most of us where we, you know, it depends on friend circles and someone knowing that you are someone that you can work with or someone that is cool enough for someone that is someone.
0: Mm.
1: So that's a fertile ground for abuse. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes. <laughs> On the other side of (laughs) this, continuing to read after this quote, it goes on like this. Yet, when mentioning the most important people in one's dancing life, the teachers come up again and again. And a bit later, we thank our teachers and wish we could name you all. I would also like to talk about the importance of the dance teachers and uh, the awesomeness <laughs> of the teachers and how dance training often is a part of a whole dance career, maybe. Like taking class and, yeah, being in relation to someone teaching you is also something so great about that.
1: Definitely. There's something super beautiful with a lot of dancers continuing to develop their dancing going to class or learning somewhere or as being part of a like artistic process as well that you get to be like keep on learning things Mm. which is great and I think that quote that you brought up that actually came through the interviews very much like that like it wasn't an explicit question to start with but most of the dancers, when, they, when I, we started talking about dance, they just kept name dropping. Mm. They just kept like, yeah, because this person taught me this. And then I went there and I met this person and she taught me this. So it, there's a lot of names where I was actually in the beginning. I was like, OK, let's try to name all of the people being named mm. because that's something like super beautiful that there's a lot of people that shows up when people want to talk about dance. They talk about the dancers and teachers that they met. But of course, that also became like an impossible project of like, who do you name and how and how would you describe them or who would describe them? And the person you only remember by first name, what mm. is that person's going to be called? And, you know, because it's really like kindergarten teacher to like that very famous person teacher. You know, so there's there's like such a wide range.
0: Yeah, I can have that when I dance that that person appears mm. like an old teacher or a colleague or. Oh, that that move came from this person or that thing I did there was coming from that person. Like yeah. all the influences also being present when when dancing. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and it's a lot of like both like physical stuff, but a lot of wordings comes from mm-hmm. teachers for me. Like how they name, name things or choose to talk about things becomes a, very much of a practice. And... Also just, I think Lydia osberg I think she mentioned this, I'm not sure if it's in the actual publication or if it was just in the interview and was edited out. But she also talks about that it only takes this one teacher sometimes. Like there's one person who saw me and said like, yeah, Mm. yeah, great. You're doing like a really good job. And that like you can live on that for a year or something because someone like saw you and saw that you have something and you can do something and you can be something. And that just like it's small, but it really makes you want to like continue or believe that you can be a dancer, you know, because there's still this idea of like who is a dancer and I'm probably not that one. (laughs)
0: I'm also like sometimes when I'm in the studio alone s- become so aware of that the majority of my dancing often happens in a like packed room often guided by a teacher like that's the situations where most of my dancing has happened so sometimes it feels when I stand alone in the studio and okay time to go to work it's like no but this is not this is not the context that I work in i
1: Mm. And that's great. I think that's like one of the beautiful things about like our work that you mm. most of the time get to do it with others. And when you learn things, it is with others. And you don't necessarily know who taught you what, because no. sometimes there's a nameable teacher, sometimes it's the way the person dancing next to you does it. Or you create a culture together through dancing a lot of times together. And, and it's just all of that is super important, I think. And so much more fun than standing alone. Yeah. <laughs> I think only this morning when we had ballet class this morning, I really had one of those moments when I was just like, yeah, it's so beautiful. I could just stand and watch everyone dance to that music. And then, of course, everyone has their demons in relation to ballet. But still, mm. it was pretty. <laughs> <laughs> it was fun to get to be part of this group for a while. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and if you start watching it that way, like the choreography of the class, especially a ballet class, it's so much like, here we go
1: there, there we go there,
0: Mm -hmm. diagonal.
1: And there's so many years of um, knowledge of just figuring out how you do things practically and socially and culturally, all of the different norms of a dance space, of course, as well. Mm. When you just like fill them in, in tempo to the music. (laughs)
0: Mm, okay so we go back a bit to uh, this first quote Mm. because you asked so good questions there so i will uh, borrow them and ask you these questions Um, what legacy do you want to leave behind and which legacy do you follow big question, but big let's think about
1: it. Which legacy do I follow? I think very practically, based on like my dancing background, I have a like a sports gymnastics legacy. There's a certain like tempo and repetition and effectivity to things, which I know I carry somehow in relation also to having done a lot of like jazz dance and really enjoying that i think there's definitely a legacy of performing and to to allow it being seen that you enjoy performing you can show off <laughs> somehow then of course i'm very much in a legacy of like eurocentric a uh, white contemporary culture, uh, especially shaped by some kind of 90s conceptualism, uh, I would say. A lot of like my legacy comes from my MA in choreography, and the kinds of focuses on how to think choreography comes a lot from there, I would say, with perhaps a focus on what choreography can do, what counts as choreography, how can we choreograph meetings, situations, objects, um, speeches, books, like that kind of what is sometimes referred to an expanded notion of choreography. I think these are all parts of my legacy. I think also a, a feminist practice in choreography that somehow emphasizes speaking of power systems, both in how to organize work and how to represent oneself and others on stage and how to work together basically, which I tie also somehow to a a tradition of cherishing group work and the co-dancers of my life. I think what kept me making work is that there's a bunch of other supportive people that are equally insecure about if what we're doing is something that's worth doing, but that one can have that discussion with and like seriously question each other and seriously support each other in moments of doubt. I think that's crucial. So some of this is more like naming legacies I think I'm in, but several of these are also legacies I am still in. I guess, Mm -hmm. no naming them as like, this is where I think I, I, what I still want to do or want to be in somehow. Um. Yeah, there's a lot of things I don't know, <laughs> obviously. Um, so in a way, I would want to be able to define my own legacy more narrow in order to somehow make visible that it's, of course, a very specific world. It's quite often you encounter things where you're like, well, oh, I don't know how this works or I feel very uncomfortable in them or I have to speak with other like, in other ways in these worlds but it's hard as well to to name it
0: but it seems like the legacy that you follow or are a part of Line up with the legacy you want to leave behind. Or at least part of it.
1: Yeah, probably. Probably you formulate... The things you want to do... Also in relation to what you don't want to do. So you have teachers and you're like... At least I'm not going to do that. Or... At least I don't want to see this kind of show. Or have this kind of process. So then you kind of formulate sometimes what where you want to go from where you've been and you don't want to go back to. Yeah. So yeah, that's a that's an, a non legacy, but it's still within things I've done, of course.
0: Mm.
1: You can't really oppose the things that I don't even know, or that's never been part of no, my like sure. things I've been introduced to at all.
0: Mm. But a certain like resistance then can get generative.
1: Definitely. Mm. Yeah, I think that's helpful, you know, to have some things you really hate or you think are like super bad or just like, you know, like have the wrong opinion or the wrong expression. You know, somehow I think you got to be categorical sometimes to to also want to go somewhere.
0: Mm. Yeah, I've had this um, that sometimes I have a feeling of that asking a question is something um, like gentle and maybe generous, but stating something is like uh, strong and like maybe even violent, if we're going to say that. But there's also something very generous in stating something, even if, like, you know, for a while. And it's so also uh, satisfying to sometimes try to put your foot down and try to say something For now, it's this, so that it can change.
1: Yeah, I agree. I I often appreciate that as well, because I can feel trusted somehow, that they know that if I think something else, I will say so, or I will just not, I will just disagree. Mm. And of course, I'm entitled to. Yeah.
0: I had the teacher, I think, for two weeks. And I was furious, like the whole workshop, I was just like, this doesn't work. (laughs) Like you can't go around and say things like that. And uh, like very talking as if this was true. And I was, yeah. Mm -hmm. And then like the last day or the day before the last day, he was like, yeah, I also say these kind of things so that you can think something else. And then I was like, oh, okay. Mm. You you had that awareness, uh, and that even though I had been furious, there is something that I appreciate in that.
1: So mm-hmm. did it make you feel like great? Then then all my bad feelings were like that's fine, I can have those. Or did it feel like well you could have said that the first day, so I could yeah, relax <laughs> for sure. <and> you <laughs> could have said that earlier, or you could have said this is there are
0: other ways to see it, and now we're gonna. Look into this very,
1: yeah. But maybe that's a crucial point to just like acknowledge that there's, of course, different ways of looking at it. Yeah. Because there, I mean, this, I think this comes across in many situations where you, the, the, of course parts, of course, you want to assume that everyone in the room has their own agency, but sometimes it needs to be just said out loud. Yeah. To know that they know (laughs) or something like that. Yeah. I think also I mean a, a tendency to make statements I think is I like it but I think definitely sometimes it 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 can run people over so there's a lot to learn in how do you still make space for disagreements then for sure Yeah
0: but if there's never any statement disagreement is also hard yeah. Like there's, that's also a way to not allow disagreement in a way, to never say anything, but yeah, or state anything.
1: Which I it's think thinking. I have perceived in, in, in a lot of like contemporary discourse on dance. Like if we come back to how teachers speak when they dance. And that's, I mean, there's been a lot of, I invite you to, or you are welcome to, uh, you are encouraged to, Like there's a lot of wordings which would give space for a potential discovery or exploration or, you know, there's a certain lingo which I think has a point in like, yes, it's my proposal, but it's your body and your world and your knowledge, so do what you do with it. But where there's moments when I feel like there's a kind of a fake freedom in that kind of language because yes it's a proposal but it's not like the teacher is expecting everyone to go like well I propose we do this instead Mm. it's you're also already kind of there because you you want someone to give proposals (laughs) that you can do I don't want to counter propose or I don't want to be the one that comes up with my own exercise I love going to class because someone else comes with something so there's always like you start using words and then the words becomes a certain culture or a set norm again. And then people start using other words because it mm. became a, a style or a norm to, to propose exercises. Yeah. But then what do you do? Do you give exercises again or do you... What do you do yeah. with those exercises that you are proposing? I think I still use propose, mm. but am I really proposing though? Or mm. am I just saying, today we're going to do this?
0: Yeah. <laughs> mm. um, talking a bit about our rehearsals. Mm. Um, when you propose a task, you can sometimes say, don't be creative. And you say, go for the first choice and please be banal about it.
1: Um where does this instruction come from? <laughs> um, I think uh, all of these three are pretty much tied to one of the like uh, practices that we've been doing, which is like a very old practice that I've been doing, uh, which is this thing where we are translating sounds or music to movements in the body. Um, and I think that was created very much in... In perhaps opposition to what I perceived as an improvisation which pretended to be liberating. Or being in situations where you're supposed to do what you want or dance free or intuitively. But everyone kind of looks the same. Because what you do is you spend your time like looking a little bit what other people seem to be doing and kind of copying the style. So I was looking for something that was like not being so busy reading the pattern that's not outspoken, which is what you do a lot when you say you can do whatever. And you're like, "Uh, obviously not, because we are doing something specific, but you just spend a lot of attention figuring out the specificity of the norm of the room. So I think it was in, in relation to that, that I wanted to be very outspoken then on norms, being also quite like saying yes to habits, saying yes to first choice movements, saying yes to doing a movement in tempo with the music, like a lot of those pretty like straightforward things. If those are very set, then how you do them can still be very different if you can manage to not try to look like each other underneath that part or something. That was the working theory, I think, then, in which I'm still very much, like, thinking of. What's, what illusions of freedom do we spend our time with in dance? Free dance. Mm. There's a lot of freedom in relation to dance, which is not at all free. So I think it comes from that.
0: Can you say more about that? Like what, what situations where you assume freedom and it's actually not free at all?
1: I think it's something when, when you're encouraged to be more of yourself or mm. you, you do an exercise but you put a personal touch to it. Or you're like, you're reasonably quirky. So you're not the person in the room that people go like, ooh, what's that person doing? But that people go like, oh, she's like not doing the same as everyone else, but she has a little bit of change. And that I feel like sometimes I spend so much time looking for the outskirts of the norm to be just, enough special to not be a weirdo but still stand out in the crowd. Mm-hmm. So I guess it's just a wish to like not asking anyone to have to be busy with that. <laughs> <laughs> so, so that's one example I think of of that that's sometimes described as a certain freedom that you can do, uh, do your thing mm. from a given material.
0: Mm. I'm also thinking of the sports legacy.
1: Yeah, in relation to that.
0: Yeah, like in relation to doing the first choice, being like immediate about it. I think there's something sporty about that.
1: True. <laughs> True. Definitely. Yeah. I guess the I but I still remember when I like after. A, I've done gymnastics when I started dancing more. That all of the instructions from the teachers were always like take care, if you feel tired don't do too much, like make sure to like take it easy and do it on your level and I was just like bewildered. I was like really, are we not like gonna try our best here or like be doing it extra everything because that's like what I was used to. And I still can have that feeling when I walk into rooms and people are somehow not allowing themselves or not daring to be too much in certain ways. But I don't know, it's super hard to say, like norms shift all the time and Mm. depending on room and who is there and what's expected and Mm. um, I'm, yeah, how do you work it with that when
0: you come into a room and you notice that you fall into the norm of that room? Maybe like, do you have some sort of strategy to allow yourself to be too much in that room? No, no,
1: I don't think I'm a person who's standing out that much, to be honest. And I'm not looking either. I'm not super interested in like extravaganza in that sense.
0: But for a difference to exist in a space, I guess, yeah. yeah.
1: And I guess I often think that explicit norms makes it easier to avoid invisible power hierarchies. I think that's very like translatable to artistic processes and to dance classes. So there will be norms and we will relate to them and we will be co-creating them. But if we can name some of them, at least we won't be busy with those. And there's something, yeah, there's something to work on there. I have a final question
0: Mm -hmm. that I ask all my guests. And I excuse the question a little bit before I ask it, because it's a bad question. (laughs) (laughs) but like allow us to follow your thinking on this question what is a good dancer
1: what is a good dancer i guess a dancer who wants to dance I guess you can want to dance. Can you want to dance and be a bad dancer? I can, no, somehow I can't really see that. So maybe that's what I would say straight up like that. I guess, as you say, in relation to it being a bad question, it's a kind of question you spend a lot of time trying to avoid or not having to be judged according to anymore. Like, I think I said today in rehearsal, a friend of mine in one of those, like, summer courses we went to both her and me there was this teacher who suddenly turned to her and she said dancer you're a good dancer (laughs) and we laughed so much about it but it was also such a like acknowledgement of like that teacher told me I'm a good dancer I'm I was a dancer already that was good but I was a good dancer so we had so much like fun about it since that time but it's still something that I can like jokingly say sometimes. It's just like to be a person who says that you're a good dancer. I don't know. When When are we encouraging each other? And when is someone placing a judgment on someone and not someone else?
0: Yeah.
1: I think it was also...
0: Coming a bit from a conversation about feeling like a good dancer. Mm -hmm. Which is also silly. But which is something we spend a lot of time
1: with. Yeah. Yeah. True. And feeling like a good dancer, that's such a good feeling. It is. (laughs) So what is it that makes you feel like a good dancer?
0: Wanting to dance, for sure. I think that was a good one. Yeah. But like when you're in the groove, like Mm -hmm. when you, Mm -hmm. when it's just juicy and consuming and total. Because then it's not about me anymore. That's the, that's the weird thing. That's the paradox of it. Yeah. Like really good dancing doesn't feel like it's about me. And that's also when I feel like a good dancer. Yeah.
1: You're relieved of yourself and all of your like thoughts and judgments and everything for a while.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Good. Thank you so thank much for joining. Thank you so much for having the talk. Thank you. Yeah. And thank you, whoever is listening. Goodbye. Bye. <laughs>